Seven o'clock hour here on the WRSU crew. Chris Aconis along with Dylan Allen, Dylan McCoy, and Jack Desaia. And we have got another guest on our show today, second time tonight. Um, now we're going to go over to Rutgers men's soccer. Uh, head coach Jim McKeldry, who you know I get have the privilege of talking to after every game. Um, you know I'm also the beat writer for men's soccer for the Daily Targum, so um, get to talk to him a lot. And we get to have him on our show tonight. Um, so we're going to put him on now. Head coach Jim McKeldry here with Chris Aconis, Dylan Allen, Dylan McCoy, and Jack Basaya. Coach, thanks for spending a few minutes tonight. How you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the time. Happy to have you. And coach, you know I got to ask you, you know. Coming off two wins on a Friday-Monday split, UPenn on Monday, your sack field, and going back to Friday, that statement win uh, upsetting number 11 Indiana on the road in Bloomington. Um, got you guys uh, ranked uh, in the top 25. Uh, what is that kind of stretch and the performance you've had so far, what does that say about what your team is capable of? Yeah, I think it's been a, it's been a good run so far with the guys. Uh, they're really bought into to what we're trying to – uh, kind of instruct them, but more so just attitude, competitiveness, uh, what they're bringing to practice every day. I'm really proud of the effort they're putting forth. Um, the results are kind of the, the what we're enjoying after we put in all that time and effort. Uh, sometimes they don't fall your way, but uh, the effort that they're putting in throughout the week, uh, I just think is, has really set the tone for our season. And We've been uh, fortunate to get the results and, and perform on, on game day. So I'm excited for them. I'm excited for where we can go in the future. We're still kind of in that first half of the season, so we've got a long way to go to, to reach some of our goals, but uh, you know, happy where we are at the moment. Coach, Nico, Nico Rosamilia, he's your program's leader in goals right now through eight matches. That's pretty impressive. Um, what has impressed you most about the true freshman Rosamilia in a short time on campus? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things Nico brings is that competitive spirit, not only just in the games, but in training. You know, I think uh, Nico's one of these guys that, um, you know, plays almost with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's always feeling like he's got a point to prove, puts in a, a real shift of work rate, uh, regardless of, you know, if he's scoring goals or helping set up goals, he does well on the defensive side. So I think for, for Nico, he has a, a huge upside in terms of his full potential. But right now, I think it's, He's putting in the work and the competitiveness that we need uh, on those attacking in those attacking areas, and and then in the last couple of games, he's really been rewarded with that effort by scoring a, a few goals here. So I'm happy uh, that he's getting rewarded for all that that effort and and kind of the spirit that he brings, um, not only on the attacking side but on the defensive side as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked about this a bunch of times, but last year was obviously unlike anything we've ever seen in college soccer. Season gets pushed back from starting in August to starting in late February. Uh, schedule shortened. You've only got a Big Ten schedule. You don't have the out-of-conference slate. And you've got to deal with all these COVID protocols and restrictions for your players and for your staff. And you're also playing in empty stadiums, and you know, you're not really playing in front of fans. So uh, I guess what was dealing with that entire ordeal like for you and your players, most of whom are back this year, and how did it help your team grow? You know, I think the fall uh, part was disappointing in that, you know, we get the, the news in, in August. I think it was the first day of preseason that we found out that our season wasn't going to be happening in the fall. But uh, Rutgers and the athletic department did an amazing job with the fall sports and, and all the sports, but especially for us being able to practice all fall. We didn't play any games, but being able to train helped a lot of our players grow, um, mature, get better every day. So that was a, a plus. 
not playing games is always a negative because you need that competitive, those competitive moments to really um, test yourself and, and ultimately improve. But I think being able to train, the school took care of us. Um, the guys enjoyed training because every, everything was shut down, as you guys know. So just being able to get out there and play every day and compete with each other and get better was, was a real plus. And, and you're right, it was very difficult not being able to play any preseason games uh, in that spring semester or any non-conference games. We just jumped right into it. And, and our staff and I, we talk about it all the time. Our first game was against Michigan State, and it was – a, a very surreal feeling to be playing a conference game so quickly. We were playing indoors. Um, but then eventually it, it turned out to be a season that uh, we took some good strides beating Maryland and, um, you know, beating some other teams that we hadn't beaten in a while. So um, that kind of helped us uh, lead into the summer, get the guys working even harder over the summer. And now I think we're kind of enjoying some, uh, some of those uh, fruits now that we, we put in all the effort in the, in that spring season and also in the summer. Coach, one of your abilities is to uh, recruit international players pretty regularly, and many of them are featured in the starting 11 right now. So with COVID and everything, how have you been able to adjust your approach to bringing those guys in with international travel being so heavily disrupted in the past couple of years? Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, you look at some of the players we have on our team with uh, Pablo Avila and, and Ula Malin, Oren Asher, Hugo Le Guenic are are four guys that um, you know have played a lot of games uh, for us, international students. Uh, but what it did do is, is we focused a lot of our recruiting the last year and a half on um, even more than we had on our local guys that we felt really comfortable with. So I think you see some of those players like Nico, you mentioned, uh, Joey Zielinski, Matty Acosta, and a, a couple of other guys that are fairly local players that we really concentrated on. We spent a lot of time getting to know them and their families. So it, uh, it did limit us a little bit on the international front, but at the, at the same time, uh, we feel it, it almost helped us uh, to kind of refocus on some of the, the top players in the area. And it also allowed those players to focus on us and being close to home, I think became even more attractive uh, during this pandemic period. And, and those guys have been great for us. And, and we're always recruiting the top players in New Jersey, but I think we even push that even more. So uh, it, we'll, we'll continue to have some international players on our team, but we also want to recruit the best players in our backyard because we feel there's a lot of great players in this state. Yeah, and I guess um, on that note, when I look at the makeup of this team, another thing that stands out is just how many of your guys have come from MLS academies, in particular the New York Red Bulls Academy. Um, someone who you know started coaching when that academy system was just in its infancy um, when you were at Fordham. How has that youth pipeline changed how you recruit, and how has it prepared those players to hit the ground running uh, at the college level? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think that youth soccer world is, is ever-changing, so it's not as if we've got a grip on it and we now know it inside and out. It's, it's constantly changing with, you know, the, the second teams of the MLS teams. Um, but it's an area that we want to continue to recruit, not only recruiting some of the academy players from all over the country, but we have some of the best right in, right in our area with Red Bull and Philly Union and NYCFC. And some of those players live in New Jersey, even though uh, they, they may play for the Philly Union or may play for NYCFC, uh, they live in, in our state. So, uh, that's one of the things we do a lot. Uh, it's not only just looking at these teams and finding players, but, hey, where are they from? Where do they live? Are they New Jersey guys? Um, are they excited about maybe coming and playing for the state university? So, you know, we do use that. But these players um, are in good environments, especially some of the players on our team. If you look at uh, we have, I think, 
you know, two Red Bull players and a Philly Union player who spent time with their uh, second team, the pro teams, uh, Philadelphia Union 2, Colts Spitak did a preseason with them. And then you look at uh, Joey and Matty uh, played in, in, in matches with Red Bull 2. It certainly helped their transition. They played with older players um, already before coming here. So it definitely helps their transition. Um, they know how to train. They understand the rigors of playing against older players. You can't just rely on your athleticism. Those are um, places that we're going to continue to recruit. We have great relationships with those clubs, and, and we'll, we'll keep uh, reminding them, uh, you know, kind of what a great place Rutgers is, not only educationally for, for those guys, but also the facilities we have now um, compare with anybody in the country. So if you have people that really want to improve and work on their game, um, this could be the place for them. Coach, through your first eight games of the year, you've had eight different players find the back of the net and score. How does that how does that ability to get a goal with so many players boost what you can do in the attacking third? You know, it's something we've talked about from from day one in that we, we never really thought we were going to have one player on our team uh, this year score 15 goals. I just don't think that's the, the makeup of our group. But we always felt we had a bunch of guys that could score goals. And I think for us to be successful – uh, we have to have different players chipping in with goals. We may have nobody that scores 10 goals, but we might have a bunch of guys with four or five or six. I think that makes us more difficult to play against. Um, we also don't you know, fall apart if we have one guy uh, injured in a match where everything's built around him. We have multiple uh, players that can come in and, and make a difference, and I think it's a huge uh, strength of our of our team, and it's something that we want to continue. I think it's a... You know, when you look at college soccer, there's a lot of games in a fairly short period of time, uh, teams that can um, play a good style but also have multiple players that can play are the ones that I think are going to have the best chance to be successful over the whole entire season. Especially in the early part of the season, and uh, you've talked about it in post-game interviews a few times, uh, schedule's really congested with several Friday-Monday splits where you just have two days of rest where you have to go out and play another game. So how does navigating that fixture congestion impact how you rotate the squad and how you approach those games tactically? Yeah, I, I think we it, very much so in, in how we're trying to rotate players and making sure that we're not pushing players so much to the limit that they can play 90 minutes in one game, but then they're injured for three weeks. Uh, that's the, something we talk about. We look at, we have a strength coach that works with our program and the women's program. Um, we have a lot of technology with GPS and heart rate monitors and all these things that can help us keep these players healthy and safe. We try not to have it affect our tactics as much as we want it to. We really, it's more about lineup. Can we make sure that we're not overusing a player? We have other guys that can come on and, and make a difference. So, hey, can we still play more or less uh, the style we want to play uh, it's just which players are going to be playing. That's the big decisions for us. And you look at the schedule, it does get congested, but that's just college soccer. And, you know, you look at this past week, it's a perfect example. We play away to Indiana on a Friday. We play a non-conference game on Monday, and then we're back playing conference again on Friday. So we have less rest for the non-conference game. Not that we don't take it seriously, but maybe we just have a day less of preparation, um, and it's more about how we play and who plays. And then we have an extra day when in between the non-conference game and the uh, the conference game on the Friday. Coach, I want to ask you about Oren Asher, uh, someone who arrived at Rutgers around the same time you did back in 2019. Uh, is in his third season now as your starting goalkeeper. Uh, so far in the season, five shutouts and a .49 goals against average. 
Um, how has he grown as a goalkeeper this offseason, and what makes him such an asset to your program? Yeah, you know, he's really um, he's done a great job for us, first and foremost, just simply of, of doing his job and keeping the ball out of the goal. I, I actually had somebody say to me the other day if he got if he got a lot taller over the last couple of years because they feel he's gotten so much better, and uh, and that's not the case. He's the same size as he was when he got here, but uh, Oren trains incredibly hard, takes care of himself. Um, uh, he's he's not six foot five, but he's strong and super athletic. Uh, so his um, you know not being the biggest keeper in the world does not really affect him because he does work on his athleticism all the time. But I think where he's improved the most over the last couple of years. It's just his maturity. Uh, he's become a, a, a kind of a quiet leader on our team. Um, he prepares well. Uh, he leads by example. So I think he's somebody that um, was always a good athlete and always a good shot stopper, but he's he's improved his, uh, his kicking since he's been here. He's worked on it very hard to be even more accurate than he was. And I also just think um, his mentality has, has just gotten better and stronger over the last couple of years. And, and it is such a mental position. So I think it's something that our, our players understand how good he is. He's, he's really had some special moments for us already during his career. So, you know, we do rely on him, and uh, we're lucky to have him. Yeah, Coach. Um, obviously the huge win against Indiana to start the season. Um, you know, how do you continue this into Big Ten play? Like, how do you continue this momentum, you know, undefeated to start the year? How do you continue that as you go into face tough for opponents? You know, it, it is kind of a, a cliche, but you really have to move on from game to game. Um, you know, I think our players have done a pretty good job with that so far this season. We've had a couple of really tight emotional games and being able to move on and start preparing for the next one. And, and that's one of the things that I think you need to be a successful team. Um, I was really proud of our group having an emotional win on the road at Indiana, you know, flying home the next day, not being able to really practice uh, because of travel having a light practice the next day on the Sunday. And then you're playing again on Monday against a, a good UPenn team. And I thought our mentality was good. You know, we didn't play perfectly uh, by any stretch, but the mentality was there. The effort was there. The concentration was there. So I was really happy with that. Um, but really it is, hey, how do we get over that game? Uh, the UPenn game, rest, recover, and start preparing for Wisconsin. They do some things very well. They've had some good results over the last couple of weeks. I think they're 3-0-1 in their last four games. So we really just have to worry about that game, do as well as we possibly can. And the minute that game ends, you know, rest, recover, and uh, look forward to the next game. But our conference is very difficult, different challenges in every game. But uh, it's one of the reasons players want to come here is because you want to play in the Big Ten. You want to get tested. um, You want to play with the best players and against the best players. So you've got to embrace it, enjoy it, and – you know, just try to prepare as best you can and then let the players really get after it on, on game day. Coach, I guess to wrap this up, you know, we, we I mean, not that I have to tell you, but New Jersey is obviously a hotbed of soccer talent, has been for a long time. And, um, you know, um, a couple of reporters have tweeted about it recently, but both Rutgers and Seton Hall, the programs are doing very well. Uh, they're playing good soccer. Um, I, I guess I want to get your thoughts on, you know, is there any interest in potentially scheduling a Rutgers-Seton Hall matchup, be it a home-and-home, neutral site, whatever the case may be? Uh, is there any interest in going to potentially set that up going forward? Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I think I said this to someone um, recently, as, as I know their coach, uh, Andreas Lindbergh, very well. Uh, he was uh, a coach in New York for a, a long time, so um, I've known Dre for uh, probably 20 years. So, 
yeah, it's something we've talked about. Um, you know, we'll 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 figure out how to game get a game on the schedule. We've actually talked about, hey, could we do something at a Red Bull Arena, make it a special day for our alums? Um, you know, playing Princeton this year, getting them back on the schedule. We played away at Princeton this year. We had a great crowd down there, both uh, for both teams. It was a really good uh, environment. Our players enjoyed playing in it. So I think it's similar with the Seton Hall. Can we find the right moment to do it? Can we find the right venue to do it? And and make it try to make it a special thing for for us. And and as you said, uh, New Jersey soccer is is really good right now and and has been in the past. So we want to kind of continue to kind of build that up and and keep the momentum going for for not just Rutgers soccer but just in college soccer in our state. And I think trying to keep a lot of these good players home and and realizing they have some great great options right in their backyard is is something that we all want. So uh, yeah, it's something that we've talked about and we'll, we'll try to get that on the schedule in the future. All right, Coach, I know you're busy prepping uh, for Wisconsin on Friday, so we're going to let you go. But we really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your evening to hop on the crew with us and uh, talk some Rutgers men's soccer. And uh, we'll see you out there on Friday. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. Take care. See you soon. We all? All right. One, two, three, go. Waking up in a dream. Sleepwalking on another big stage. You never heard peace till you hear people scream your name and you're the son. I'm so far away from the And place I used welcome to be. back to the Wednesday edition of the WRSU crew. A very footy heavy edition. Dylan McCoy joined by Dylan Allen, Chris Taconis, Jack Pasha. And guys, we we're talking about it off air, but the state of New York sports right now, you know, I understand that we're we're fickle as fans, and you know, we take we take winning and losing maybe a bit more seriously than other parts of the country, but guys, I I don't know how to explain it, but both our football teams are awful. Both our baseball teams are just not meeting expectations. Our basketball teams are good, but I mean, this has got to be one of the worst states of New York sports that I know I've ever seen. Uh, maybe like the 80s, but I mean, the Giants went to Super Bowls in the 80s, so. I, I don't know about that. I, I mean, I mean, it's not great right now, but think about, all right, let's take a holistic approach here. Um, the Yankees, I mean, they're 18 games above 500. I know they're in a playoff race right now, but like at the end of the day, like they're still like a good baseball team. Um, can't say the same about the Mets. Basketball, I think basketball is a reason why I disagree with it because the Knicks and the Nets both made the playoffs last year. The Nets, in my opinion, probably going to win an NBA championship. The Knicks are definitely trending in the right direction. Um, so, you know, it's, um, you know, that aspect it's good. Hockey's interesting. Um, you know, Rangers and Devils both have young teams that are trying to make a push for the postseason. Uh, the Islanders, we all know, made the Eastern Conference Finals. So they're actually doing pretty decent. Um, football is really the one where it's just a total... Uh, Total just mess. Six alarm tire fire. <laughs> that I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah, I know. I know the word you were looking for, Chris, and I appreciate you holding back due to our FCC uh, guidelines. <laughs> it's it's an eight letter word, but Chris would never. And also, um, the New York Liberty clinched the eight seed, and they're uh, starting the playoffs tomorrow. So, um, you know, we have to give them the appropriate love too. So. Um, I'm not going to mention uh, MLS right now because Red Bulls and NYCFC have a big derby coming up at 8 o'clock. We'll talk about that a little more during rapid fire, but, you know, New you York know, sports is actually doing pretty well. You know, I agree. I think if you're going to limit to football, I think uh, I think you're exactly right. But, you know, I know basketball. I, you don't have to tell me twice. I know those two teams are both trending in the right direction, especially the Nets. 
Um, you know, are you going to consider Rutgers football a New York team? There's that Big Ten commercial. Uh, that's that's another debate. But, uh, yeah, you know, there's one thing to be said when no, Rutgers. No, no. Can I say something, Jack? What? New York City tries to take so much away from New Jersey. They don't like the fact that um, we have better pizza than they do. We have better bagels than they do. We have better drivers than they do. And, oh, by the way, the Statue of Liberty belongs to us. So, no, they cannot have Rutgers football. They cannot have Greg Schiano. They cannot have C. Peichel. They can't have any of it. They can't have Jim McKeldry. They can't have Rutgers women's soccer. They can't have any of it. It's all ours. It's jerseys, and it's going to stay that way. They can have Seton Hall, though. They can definitely claim Seton Hall if they like to. <laughs> they can't have the, the, the Giants either. East Rutherford, baby. I don't think anyone wants the Giants right now. I think I think the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean has a better chance of claiming the Giants than New Jersey or New York do right now. Yeah, well, I'd rather I'd rather pick them over the Jets, but those are not very good options anyway. No, no. So? Two quarterbacks that have definitely uh, seen ghosts at least once in the first three weeks of the season. Yeah, well, I, I mean, listen, I, what I'll say about that is Daniel Jones, if he can continue the way he played against Washington, he's going to be a New York Giant quarterback for the future, I think. Because if, if I think he can play like that, uh, I, I think this team wins a lot of games where they when they can score 30 points. The defense just has to show up. I'll, I'll just say that. But I, I, I do think that, um, you know, if Slayton catches that deep ball, that's another 50 yards passing, another passing touchdown, and then, you know, with that stupid holding call on C.J. Board down the field, that's another, That's another. I don't even know how many yards that rushing touchdown would have been, but that's that's a big run. It, but basically what I'm trying to say is he would have had over, like, 400 total yards by himself between passing and rushing, and he would have had, like, four touchdowns between rushing and throwing. So, I mean, that was a hell of a game he played. The defense just needed to show up. Yeah, that was probably, in my personal opinion, the best game that he's played as a New York Giant. Agreed. Uh, And, I mean, it's kind of sad that when your quarterback's best game of his career is still not enough to lead you over a team that is starting their backup quarterback. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just last week, I had many things to say about Daniel Jones, and he decided that he was going to step up and play well. So... I don't know if I'm back on the on the Daniel Jones our guy train yet. I literally just got off of it, so I think I need some time <laughs> to uh, analyze from afar. Listen, but I think the one thing I'll say about that McCoy is if we see him play like similar to that against the Falcons, which is a much worse defense um, than than Washington, and I expect to see something like that where they keep him in the run game um, against Atlanta. But if he can continue this against tougher defensive opponents. I'll just throw out a team that they play this year. Uh, let's say the Rams. I'm not saying they'll win the game, but if he can perform like that and score points against a good defense and maybe throw one or maybe one pick, I can live with that. But you can't be throwing 150 yards, maybe a touchdown, and then maybe and then one or two picks. Like it's got to be. You got to have a lot of creativity in the playbook. You got to get things going. And I understand if it's one thing that your defense gives up 35 points to Matt Stafford, you can't control that. But if you can incorporate you know, three or four touchdowns, four, four, three or four good touchdown drives. I, I think that's if he can do that more often. I think, I think we're good. But he has to prove it, and he hasn't done it. So we have to see the five stages of denial. <laughs> Are you speaking from experience? Yes. Okay. Specifically, specifically recent experience. Okay. As in one year ago. Hey, what about that other team in New York, the Jets? What about them? <laughs> I, I want Chris. What's your what's, what's your thoughts on that uh, that that beautiful performance by Zach Wilson on Sunday? Uh, well, look, I'm going to say a couple things. One, I don't think that you can fully pin it on him for a couple reasons. One, 
he's a rookie quarterback making his second start on a team that just isn't that good. Um, I mean, let's just keep be honest. That yes, Joe Douglas went out and got some nice young pieces in the draft. I think Elijah Baratago is going to be a good left guard. I think Elijah Moore is going to be a good wide receiver. Like there are young pieces on that team that I think are, what about are going Salah, to be contributors. Uh, Salah, I think, is a great head coach. Like you'll notice that they're more. The execution isn't there, but you can tell that they have more of an idea. There's more of an identity to them. Um, and I, I think that it's going to take a while for that to really come to fruition and translate into wins on the scoreboard. But I think that ultimately they are going to win some games. I, I'm, I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs or anything crazy like that. But I think they'll get more competitive as the season went on. I think the big thing is, one, the offensive line has to step up. And losing Mekhi Becton for half the season is uh, less than ideal, to put it mildly. Um, I think that when you look at the way that the receivers have played, you know, at the end of the day, Denzel Mims has to learn the route tree. It's his second year in the NFL, and he doesn't know the route tree. Like, that's just, I don't know how, I didn't even think that was possible. If I'm being completely honest, we're a second-round pick to not know that. Jack, have you ever heard of that before? No, I have not, but I will add, in all seriousness, though, Zach Wilson on Sunday, you know, I get it. It's his second start of his NFL career. He's going up against Bill Belichick, for God's sake. I mean, Bill Belichick kind of has just like a hex on young QBs of course over he does. the years. And he is the best. <laughs> Why not? He's already ruined everything else for us. Best coach of all time. <laughs> and I should add, he's drafted a whole bunch of Rutgers players. And I believe. Oh, that bothers me the, the most. One that of the McCourty twins is still on. I think it's Devin, right? Devin's still on the Patriots. Devin's still on, yep. Yeah. Big so. day for Rutgers. All right. <laughs> there we go. He had but, an interception in that game, too. He, I think he tipped it up. Uh, he tipped up another yeah, one, Yeah, well, too. two of the interceptions were tipped. Too. Let's keep that in mind. So it's not quite the, like a Nathan Peterman performance. So uh, I, I will just say that. The one I'm referring to was I, I saw uh, some guy on, on TikTok break it down. Like it was like a kid. <laughs> and, he, and you could tell he was all fed up. That. Yeah, you saw, you could tell he was all fed up. He's like, he pauses it and he's like, here's a guy on the left. No blocker. These two buffoons on the O-line are blocking each other. And then you got a guy in the right, and then there's three guys coming in. Zach Wilson's just standing there. There's no one back there, and he's just got to throw it. And there, and that I think that's where McCourty tipped it up or, or something, and another uh, Patriots defender was able to come down with the ball. But just the still frame of seeing the Jets blocking and just <laughs> what Zach Wilson was looking at. I mean, he had a guy right in his face. So I, I really don't blame him for just kind of throwing it. But he'll learn as you go on. Either one, you gotta you got to figure that out and roll out before that happens. Or two... Just throw the ball away, and I i don't know, maybe you get an intentional grounding, but you can't I, – I, I get you can't take the sack, but you also can't just kind of throw it up into triple coverage either. I think one people – or one thing that people underestimate sometimes is how fast the NFL is. Like, when I watch that clip that you're talking about, like, that kid, that kid pauses the video, and then he plays it again, and, like, the speed of the linebackers going at Zach Wilson, even when they're unblocked, I mean, it's tough for any person to make a decision in that time. And I think that aids a lot in what happened with Zach Wilson on Sunday. I mean, one thing that I've noticed about football over the years is that is how much of a team game it is. Like, yes, Brady has seven Super Bowls. You can't take it away from him. But Brady, Brady doesn't have seven Super Bowls if it isn't for everyone else on that team. Brady doesn't get his seventh Super Bowl back in February without, like, every single person on the team. Football is such a team game. Zach Wilson Zach Wilson can throw the ball, but if his receiver doesn't catch it, I mean, what's he going to do about it? Right. I, I think you're referring to that Corey Davis one, right? I mean, I've been seeing that all over. I, right. You can't blame a quarterback. I tried to burn them from my memory. Also, I was listening to a couple of them on the radio because I was driving <laughs> up from the women's soccer game. So, you know. uh, Okay. So you, you can't blame – obviously, you can't blame a quarterback 
for a ball that should have been caught by the receiver that just lands in defenders' hands. But there were a couple throws that were questionable where he just kind of just off the back foot, just like kind of just flung it up, kind of like Arthur Sikowski at times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's 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 rude, Dylan. That's rude. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Too is soon. it too soon? I don't think he's gonna go four and eighteen touchdowns picks this year. I think it'll be a little bit better. Well, that Although, was like the thought experiment of what if you didn't prepare a quarterback before you started? What if you throw a freshman on the worst team in the Big Ten and just say an go. FBS, one of the worst teams in FBS? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And just be like, all right, you figure it out. Like, yeah, that went about as one could reasonably expect given the circumstances. Who wants to talk about the taunting rule? I was just about to bring that up, Dylan. Yeah, let's do that. All right. Well, first off, I'll just I'll just give my little spiel. So, the taunting rule. I don't know what your guys' stance is on that, but I all I know is that there's just been a bunch of penalty flags thrown for I don't know maybe a guy staring down somebody that he just trucked him and you know ran right over him. He looks at him for half a second, says something, and then goes back. That's a flag. I mean, there's got to be a point where you got to allow these players to have some kind of an emotional like reaction to things because this is a physical sport. I mean, you're out there, you're running, you're like you're in your head. Like the mentality for a lot of these guys is like, I'm just like whoever has the ball, I'm gonna run over. And in order to mentally prepare yourself, you have to keep like hyping yourself up. You can't just then make a, a great hard tackle and just say nothing. Um, so it's like it's kind of hard to limit that, and it's just going to hurt every team in the NFL because I know every player is going to have some sort of an emotional reaction to plays. But I will say, uh, John Mara, you know, my my team's owner, he's the one who really wanted this to become a thing, and I think it's because he was tired of us losing so often and seeing other teams celebrating it that he was just like, you know what? If I can't build a team that's going to win, let's just stop other teams from celebrating. That way, when we don't win, it's not as bad. Just like I don't get it. I don't Children. know. Denver. Denver had Children. some pretty nice celebrations week one. The one uh, I don't remember who scored the touchdown. They had a nice group celebration though. It was uh, not nice for me, but my dad really didn't like it. But, <laughs> um, no, I agree. I feel like taunting, like it's such like a broad definition of what could be taunting, and like celebrating is not taunting. Like at its core, it's not. And like. Sometimes they're not even like directing it towards other players. They're looking at their teammates and they're getting called for these flags. I, I, I don't get it. Like I feel like the NFL was there not a point of time when the NFL did this like four or five years ago. Like it was the same thing. Everyone was getting called for flags. I feel like this is like it's like the cycle of the NFL. Like this has to happen once every like half decade. I don't know why, but look, it always seems to be a thing that gets brought up. If the NFL wants to maximize on interest from the fans. And, you know, really capitalize on that. You got to let football players just do football things. That means, you know, end zone uh, celebrations. That means, you know, you know, maybe lighten up on some of these uh, passer friendly rules. So you don't have every team, you know, you know, every defender who tries to make a play on the pass get called for pass interference and a 15 yard penalty. Um, you know, if, if a quarterback gets sacked, the defensive end should be allowed to celebrate. Like, I, I don't understand why this has to be. I mean, you don't want anything, like, blatant. Like, you don't want someone, like, getting in someone's face like that. But, you know, let football players celebrate football plays. I, I don't understand why that has to be such an issue. Look, it's the same thing that I, I see in basketball a lot of the time, especially in the NBA. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, um... I don't I don't know why professional leagues prohibit this so much. Like in the NBA, like if you just look at someone, it's a technical foul. And 
basketball is an emotional sport. Football is even more of an emotional sport. Like um, I forgot who said it. You got to hype yourself up because football is a physical sport. You got to be able to tr- got to be mentally ready to truck someone every single time you go out into the fields if you're a running back. Yeah, but- you can't go into a a you know a line drive hit like that just like second guessing what you're going to do. You have to go in 100%. Like, all right, we're going to set Saquon down nice and easy here. Just <laughs> right. a little into the ground. Exactly, yeah. though. Like, I would like I'll that. give him a pillow for his head, too. I would like that. I would like all Yeah, of well, that. then Saquon will just shove the defender over and run to the end zone, yes. which is why you would and like And then it. get called yes. for a taunting penalty because he shoved <laughs> him too hard. <laughs> so. Every, roughing, it, roughing the passer now just applies to everyone. And if you hit someone too hard, it's a flag. It's amazing. I don't know how they. I don't know how they managed. I don't know how you managed to do it, NFL. You took the fun out of football again. No fun league. The no fun league. Every couple of years, it's the no fun league. <laughs> I don't know why Goodell consistently does it, but he seems to enjoy uh, making fans angry. I just which... don't really see the benefit, though. There like, isn't one. Where's Where's the benefit? Like owners came together and said, "Yeah, you know," because owners are only concerned about money. Let's be honest with ourselves. Like they all came together and said, "Yeah." All of us are going to agree to this taunting rule, and it's probably going to piss off the fans, but you know what? We don't care. Like, the fans are the reason why we make the money at the end of the day. Like, I, I just find it hard to believe. And even with the NBA, too, like, you know, you look, you, LeBron dunks on someone and he mean mugs him. Technical foul. What? It, the, the NBA and the NFL are both emotional sports and players got to express that emotion. You know, fans love it. Fans love it when someone, like, uh, guys start trash talking each other and you know going at each other it goes viral. It ultimately ultimately boosts the sport. I just don't I just don't see it, man. Yeah, and you know it's like you know put yourself in the shoes of like you know pick any position you want. Like say you're I don't know middle linebacker that comes in from the second level to make a sack or you know tackle for loss on a running back. You're telling me that if you weren't in that situation, um, you wouldn't be, like, juiced up, like, you know, just hyped up, like, let's go. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... Oh, I would be for sure. I mean, I, I've never... I'll be honest. I never played football competitively. I don't know about... I know McCoy did. I don't know about um, uh, you guys, but... Nope. No. Um, I played freshman ball. Oh, you did? That was that was pretty much my extent, though. Yeah, because yeah. after that, I didn't... I've watched really enough playing. football to know, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. you just... You know, like, when you complete the assignment correctly, like... The hole that you're supposed to, that you're responsible for, when you make a play, like um, on the defensive side of the ball, and you're able to just kind of follow that, I guess the the scheme or whatever the play's called, and able to make a big play on that. I mean, you're obviously going to be psyched up, right? I mean, it's yeah. like you don't get too many opportunities in a football game to make a big tackle. It's you know, it's like at least for you, not the whole team, but like how many how many tackles for loss would I have in the backfield? Maybe one or two in a game. So I feel like I should be able to celebrate it. Were you a, were you a defensive player? I would play D line, yeah. Okay. So I know, like you know, when you get loose and you make a big tackle, it's it's it, it it gets you excited to play. It just and then the next play, you go even harder at the offensive lineman, because you're like you're just juiced up from that one, and you're feeling like you could just do it again. And so I don't know. As long as it stays within the boundaries of like you know acceptable terms. Like, well, of course. If, yeah, if yeah. Like you know, rules. if someone's like you know throwing racial slurs at someone, or if someone's like you right, know, well, of course, pushing someone, and this goes for all sports. If if it if it crosses that line, then yes, there's a flag, of course. But like you know, classic like you know, yeah, man, or like you know, things that I can't say on FCC airwaves. Yeah, some would also be like, acceptable yeah. in a uh, in a football setting after a big play. That's acceptable too. Just don't let it go out of line. Like I don't, I maybe that's what the NFL's goal is, but they're being way too harsh on it. And maybe you'll see this week they'll kind of like loosen the reins a little bit. Maybe they just went a little bit too hard at it to start 
maybe you'll see them change it this week. I mean, I'm not sure if they will or won't, but um, but yeah, I, I'm, I actually saw a um, an alert that said the taunting the taunting rules are going as the NFL expected, and there's going to be no changes to it. I saw a Bleach uh, report about that. Well, I no don't fun know. league strikes again. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I don't know. You're you got I don't even know how many referees are on the field at once in a football game, but you got at least five, and they all have a different opinion of what they think is crossing that line. So I don't really know. I don't know, like, there's no, like, set definition of, like, taunting. It's, like, it's basically an opinionated call. And obviously, most calls are opinionated based off what you see, but I'm just saying, like, it's something that you can't tell on a replay, like, as if there's holding or a pass interference. Like, this is something that happens right in the moment, no reviews. Like, so it's, I don't know, you're putting it up in the ref's hands to make a judgment call. What if he mishears something somebody said? For some, for maybe a racial slur or something, and it wasn't that, and then they throw a flag, and then it hurts the other team, right? I mean, just like it's there's too much on the line for something like that. How much is the taunting penalty? How many yards? It's fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. That's a that's that's a big penalty. Yeah. We saw If you guys watch the Cowboys Chargers game on Sunday, like penalties change games, and fifteen yards is massive in an NFL game. That goes. Let's say there was like a fifteen yard gain. And you know you wipe that off. Now it's like first and twenty five instead of fir- instead of first and ten somewhere like down the field. Like that's a massive, that's a massive blow. Yeah, and for a guy who watches the Giants, first and twenty five, Garrett would run a halfback dive up the middle, maybe get a yard or two. You have to make it second and manageable, Dylan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I would do. But you know, run up the middle, maybe get a yard or two. Then the next play, let's do a jet sweep and lose another six yards. So now you're on a third and thirty. And then you know what? Let's just instead of trying to get in field goal range or at least making up half the distance, draw. let's run another draw and then punt. That way, it's just uh, super conservative. Punt the ball from a manageable distance. Field yeah. position is everything, Dylan. Life, life, <laughs> guys, under, life guys are un- learning the life pain. under Jason Garrett. It's, it's almost like so a, a, an offensive coordinator that was a backup quarterback his whole career <laughs> thinks like a backup quarterback. Well, listen. What Somewhere I'll say about Garrett is, and that's that's a true statement. No, uh, what I'll right. say, I don't wanna... what I'll say about Garrett is, his whole coaching career in Dallas, he had a top five offensive line. So, you know, the runs up the middle, the jet sweeps, the ha- uh, the wide receiver screens, with good blocking, those plays will work. But with the Giants, when you don't have as good of an offensive line, nowhere close, you have to change things up. Like, you have to be able to adjust. And that's what they did in Week Two. Week One, you saw the halfback dives up the middle, jet sweeps. You saw the receiver screens. Week two, Daniel Jones is running the ball for 100 yards and a touchdown, and all of a sudden they put up 30 points against one of the better uh, defensive lines in all football and and defenses in general. What about your first-round pick, Darius Toney? Like, he hasn't done I anything. have more yards I than like him, by the way, in, in, in our careers. I have more yards than him. I'm sitting here in you this guys chair do right too. now. I, I still like yards. him. I think it's more of a Jones thing than anything else. I mean, you know, uh, you, saw, you saw Galladay yelling no, no. at, uh, you, you saw Galladay <laughs> yelling at, apparently, Jason Garrett. I think yeah. Daniel Jones. But, I mean, every time Galladay touches the ball, it seems like he does something amazing with it. And he's getting, like, what, four targets a game? Daniel Jones just a very, you know, he's a very come out of the huddle and, all right, I'm going to throw to this guy. Like, I'm not making a read. I'm throwing to this guy. So, and that's tough in the NFL. Like, I'm not saying that Garrett helps with his play calling because he for sure does not. He hurts. But I also think that if Daniel Jones is going to be successful in this offense or any offense, he's got to become a guy who, who makes reads, you know. He too many times, and the one example I really remember is the Denver game. They're on, like, the five-yard line, second and goal, and he, out of the huddle, is, like, is going to throw to Saquon Barkley. 
There are three people on Saquon Barkley, including one guy underneath yeah. who almost takes an interception back. You know, that, a was, that was a bad pass. That was one of his mistakes in that game. Um, it's but, a habit, though. It's becoming it's, a yeah. habit at this point. Like, well, yeah. It, he's been in the league. This is his third or fourth? Third season. Third season. Yeah. It's his third season. If by your third season you do not know NFL defenses enough or your own offensive scheme enough to be able to wait, be patient, and make reads, that's a problem. Yeah. I don't care where you end up. He could be playing for Kansas City, and if he doesn't make reads, he's going to be in trouble. Yeah. You know, and what I will say to that is um, – you know, I like to defend Daniel Jones when I can, and I always criticize him when I when you know when when he doesn't play well. I'll criticize him, but in that Washington game, the offensive line played great, and he made the reads. Like he he made the reads last game. You had a bunch of uh, throws down the field where he he you know he saw a flag on the play. If it was an offside, he threw it down the field. It was pitch and catch with Shepard all night. He had close to a hundred yards. I, I think that Washington game, McCoy, was he he was able to go through the reads because his offensive line was actually blocking for once. I think that also has something to do with it too, the offensive line not being able to block 100% of the time. Because when you know as a, as a quarterback, when you snap the ball, that one side of the line you know might be done for within the first second of the play, you can't make the read across the field. You have to dump it down to the guy in the flat which is why defenses, when they double cover Saquon, it's like kind of predictable when they know they can get a pass rush because it's the only option that he can go to. Against Washington, you didn't see that because the offensive line actually played a hell of a game. Kept him, kept him in that pocket for a while. He was able to scramble, throw the ball down the field. And I think that's the Daniel Jones we're going to get if this offensive line can just play like above average in the league. I'm not asking them to be top five like, like Dallas was years ago, but I'm just asking them not to be bottom tier. That's it. And I think Daniel Jones will play much better. I feel like that's a lot to ask for, considering the fact that Nate Solder is one of our starting offensive tackles. Yeah, listen, he played well against Washington. Couple goofs. <laughs> I saw a video where he like did not block a guy and just like ran right by him. Yeah, he um, had about five of those against Von Miller. Yeah, one. it was pretty. Yeah, bad. no, th- yeah, no. Denver was bad, um, but I'm just saying. I think I think the team can do it off- on the offensive line if they can do it against Washington. You know. Who says they can't do it against Atlanta next week or, or the Saints? Like if they, I feel like if they can do well against Washington, they should be able to do well against most teams in the NFL. Oh, you should definitely be able to do well against Atlanta. <laughs> I would hope so. Did you see that defense? Yes, yeah, and, that's I still, and it still doesn't give me enough optimism to say we're going to win. Like, it's, oh, it, come on now. No, I'm, I'm serious. Like, really? The life Jones's I, performance against the I, top five no. defense did not give you any sort of clarity or, or any sort of like. Uh, thought that was we were gonna say okay this offense can play well against a good defense we're you, gonna go out well, there and kick some butt. Well, you guys heard all of my analytical predictions over the off season. You know, I thought the Giants were gonna do this and they were gonna do that and they were gonna do this and that and win the division and win ten games. Uh, that was the New York PR machine talking because they fooled me. Uh, I I don't know. Just after the, watching this team for two weeks, I know they played well in week two, but. You know, even it seems like when their offense puts it together, their defense can't put it together, yeah. and vice versa. Yeah, no, no. I, they, listen, they have yet to play a complete game of football, and I, I it's will very disheartening. I, I will give you that. It's been two years, three years, even actually since 2017. It's been years where it's just been really bad football, and we've seen glimpses of either the offense or defense really get things going, and then the next week they just completely collapse as if nothing, if as if the the previous week didn't mean anything. So I get what you're saying there, for sure. But I I think I would hope Daniel Jones in his third year can continue that. 
you know, we're not in the, the rookie stage or the second year stage where he's still taking those steps to kind of figure everything out. This is the make or break year. Every Giants fan, every NFL, every NFL fan knows it. I think this is the year where he can capitalize on a good performance and keep doing it week in and week out. Um, I think part of the poor performance against Denver had to do with the lack of preseason games for most of our starters. Um, I, I think waiting until the last preseason game hurt us, especially defensively, because we didn't play any we didn't play any of our defensive starters. They go out there against Denver, get absolutely run over, and then the same thing happens the next week against Washington. So hopefully they play a better game this week against Atlanta, but I guess we'll see. You know what I'll say real quick to Daniel Jones having a good game against the top five defense? What do you think I'll say? What do you think you'll say? Uh, let's see. It doesn't see. matter because they lost. A fraud performance, like a once-in-a-lifetime or maybe like something that will never happen again? No, I'll say the Washington defense is probably not a top-five defense anymore. Oh, I don't know about that. that <laughs> I don't know about that. seven is probably top-five. but I don't know about that. They, they, I'll, I'll, I'll just let this sit with you. We scored more points offensively on the same defense than Justin Herbert and the Chargers in the same building on a shortened week. I will just say that. You tell me what that means. Those are all. I'll tell you points. this: I dropped the Washington football defense. So <laughs> smart manager, then look at you. So you must have believed Daniel Jones had something cooking, then. No, I saw the <laughs> Washington football team. Who are they playing? They're playing a team that's not very that's pretty good this week, right? Oh, they're playing the Bills, I think. Oh, you dropped them after. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I think they're playing Buffalo this week. Yeah, but you know them laying an egg against Daniel Jones didn't help. If they if they played really well against the Giants, I would have kept them. Yeah, I, I, I yeah. All right, I think you have heard us. Uh, I think I think the listening public has heard us bellyache about New York football enough. Uh, we're going to go to a commercial break. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back with a soccer special rapid fire. Oh, boy. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. The oh. Derby. It's literally 12 minutes away, Dylan. <laughs> it's 12 minutes away. I am so juiced up right now. We are going to be back with oh, yes. our... Don't w- get a taunting penalty. We are going to be back with our Wednesday right, soccer now. special right after this. You are... We are back here for the last nine minutes of the Wednesday edition of the WRSU crew. I'm Dylan McCoy, joined by Jack, Jack Bashaw in FM, Chris Conis, Dylan Allen in Studio A. Chris, I, I think I have to turn this over to you first. Like I said, it's a soccer special. I joked before, but no, Chris is wearing a New York Red Bull jersey. Uh, I'm on the same side of the Derby, but Chris, um, first of all, what what is is there an informal name for this derby? Because I know the Hudson River Derby. The Hudson River Derby. How is this one not El Trafico? It's New Jersey and New York. <laughs> because mean, we actually have a functioning mass transit system, whereas uh, LA is just highways. You are very generous compared to LA. Have you have you been to LA? No, the farthest oh, west I've been worse. is Indianapolis. It's like it's like this is like rural South Dakota traffic wise compared to LA. Like it is just there's, oh there's nothing. It's bad. Don't ever put me on the four hundred five. But Chris, um, <laughs> I want to go to you. You know. Um, who do you think actually has the advantage in the in the derby tonight? And what do you think the score is going to be? Very curious. Well, a couple things I want I want to give you guys some context because I don't think unless I've misjudged one of you severely, I don't think any of you guys have been really locked in. I have uh, no idea what's Bulls. going on. So, Dylan, I think you watched one game with me on TV, and that was about it. But yeah, I um, remember that. It was a good time. Yeah, the Red Bulls had a rough uh, rough end to the summer. Um, uh, the top seven teams in the East make the playoffs. Uh, Red Bulls are in. They're about nine points out. With 
Let me see how many games we got left to play. We've got like we've got like seven or eight games left to play. So they're on the outside looking in. But New York City is currently third in the East. Um, they're averaging a point and a half per game. Red Bulls are just above a point per game. Red Bulls are coming off a four 0 win over Miami on the road, though. So that means that Red Bulls are coming in hot. They're coming in with something to play for because they know if they lose this game, they are um, probably not going to make the playoffs. So every game is really a must win. Um, and, you know, they're coming in hot. So I'm thinking that if the Red Bulls can dial up that high press early on, they can really pressure uh, that New York City FC back line to make a couple of mistakes. They are playing at home, Red Bull Arena, which is also technically New York City's home because the Yankees sort of kind of kicked them out of Yankee Stadium. But, you know. Um, I, I completely support that movement then, if that's true. Cause, you don't uh, like the soccer lines on the field? <laughs> no, I don't. Well, the soccer fans don't like playing there either, but they hate going to New Jersey more. You see, the whole reason that team exists, and part of the reason why I don't like them, is because New Yorkers have this weird like disgust about crossing the Hudson River for anything. So, like, you know, I, I just... Uh, and that's a list of reasons why New Jersey is so much better than New York. But They like coming down and uh, using our beaches for three months of the yes, year. Yes, and but... acting like they own the place. Yeah. And creating a reality show where everyone in the show is from Staten Island, but they call it the Jersey Shore. I think I think one person was from Hazlitt, to be fair. Uh, I think well. that's about it. Was Wait, isn't Paulie D from, like, Rhode Island or something? I think so, yes. Ah, oh, No, the situation is from, long, from uh, either Long Island or Staten Island. I don't know. Absolutely incredible. But regardless... The whole reason that team exists is because uh, people in, like, the Bronx and Queens are too snobbish to come to, to New Jersey. All right, whatever. Have your dopey little soccer team in your um, largely empty baseball stadium. That's fine. Um, but, you know, I think that this is a game that, you know, the Red Bulls are at home, so it's going to be a largely pro Red Bull crowd. I think they're going to come out strong tonight. And, um, you know, gambling on MLS is always a dicey thing, so I'm not, I didn't make it my lock, but... You know, I think the Red Bulls, look, they have to start winning games. And, you know, they've done a lot of the right things. But when they needed to hang on to leads uh, earlier in the season, it was hard for them to do so. So now it gets put to the test. You've got a home and home with your rivals. Then you've got a few more games. Playoffs start in November. Uh, Time to put up or shut up. Chris, so are you saying that it's coming home? I mean, I don't know if I would call this home <laughs> in terms of football coming home or MLS coming home, but the the Hudson Derby. It seems trophy. like it seems like I it think, is. Oh, okay. is there is there a physical okay. trophy? Is it like I don't think there is. Is it just like a mile marker on the highway or something? <laughs> it's like the um, the Garden uh, State Hardwood Classic one, where it's just a wooden New Jersey map with the two schools. <laughs> on. All right, but that's an awesome trophy. No, it is. It is. It is. But that would probably be what it would look like. Is like, you know, just. How do you make a trophy that looks like a dirty river? I don't know. <laughs> I think it would have to be like the Statue of Liberty since like we just like both claim Well, I mean, it. that's ours, so. Well, yeah, uh, it is claim, ours, yeah. but I mean, so. it's something we both claim. Fair enough. Now, Fair enough. wouldn't it technically be coming home, Chris? Didn't you say that they share it? So it's technically coming well, they home don't fully regardless. Share. Here's the thing. Uh, New York City FC played half their games at Yankee Stadium and half their games at Red Bull Arena. It's not really their home because, one, they're tenants in our stadium. We own right. the stadium. You're just renting it out. Yes. And two... If you go and watch a highlight clip from one of New York City FC's home games uh, at Red Bull Arena, there's like seven people there. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, it's bad. Like, it's the worst attendance you'll see at a Major League Soccer game. Uh, Chris, uh, greater than, less than sign, Rutgers 2019 football attendance after game one. Greater Student than, attendance after oh, game one. Oh, no, it'll be, uh, you mean strictly for New York City FC home games in New Jersey? Yes. Yeah. I'm going to say about the same. 
Oh, wow. That's, was it like 50 people? That's a tough turn. Well, yeah. that was a Liberty game. That's Liberty a different level. <laughs> because you know why? Because when um, when uh, the 2019 Rutgers football team was playing, um, you know, like Ohio State or Michigan, people would, like bring their friends that go to those schools into the student section. Mm. So there'd be more fans there, but they wouldn't be Rutgers So it don't even count. So, but the Riot Squad stuck around. Yeah, the Riot fi- Squad was always there. And they're going to, to the men's soccer game on Friday. Yes, oh, I should have asked Coach about that. Oh, I should have asked him about putting the stands Bleachers behind, the, nets behind the net. I don't know why they ever stopped doing that. If you go, Dylan, we're trying to go to Maryland next Tuesday for the men's soccer game there. Yes, boys. Uh, pending credential approval. Yes. Um, so World travel. Have you seen week. what their stadium looks like, Dylan? Uh, no, actually, I have not. The stands not. go around the entire stadium. Like, it's Ooh. not like, you know, a massive stadium or anything. It's like but 7, it's like an people. arena. But it's like an arena. And the student section is behind the net. Oh, might be it might be a it might be tough for Warren Asher hearing uh some. Well, you only have to play behind him for a half, and then they switch sides. That's true, but still. But yeah, but the one part that bothered me, and I'm trying to get juiced up for this Rutgers Maryland rivalry that is eventually <laughs> going to become a rivalry in some sports at least. Do you know what the student section at Maryland is called for soccer? Is it the Terp Squad? No. I don't know. <laughs> the Crew. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I am whoa. not kidding. I think we need a lawyer. I think we need a lawyer, Chris. That's uh, that's gimmick infringement right there. Oh. That is Columbus a libel. I love that student section. Oh, man. Oh, man. I just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to refer to them by name. I'll, we'll just call them uh, the students located behind the Maryland goal. We'll just say that. I don't know. We'll come up with something. We'll come up with something cute. Some, come up with something cute. The student section formerly known as the crew. I don't know. We'll figure something out. But we're not letting them have the crew name. No way. No Absolutely shot. not. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little... I Does Columbus even still have the crew name? Columbus No, they, they were going to get rid of it, but then the fans, like, rioted, and they were like, all right, fine, we can keep calling ourselves. I would have rioted the opposite. They wanted to change like, the you need name. To get rid of it. No, but you know why? Because here's the thing. They had that name since 1996. They were one of the original 10, like the original six in the NHL. And um, the the name they got first off they got a way worse logo and they kept the logo. Look at the old logo and look at the new one and you'll you'll see what I mean. But they were going to change the name from the Columbus Crew, which say what you want about it, it's an original original name, um, a little gimmicky, but you know I like whatever. it. I, I like it too. Represents the crew. Yes. And on eighty eight point seven FM, <laughs> Homer Rutgers Radio. Um, <laughs> but um. They wanted to give it to them the most vanilla soccer name ever. They were literally going to be Columbus SC. SC? Columbus soccer, soccer Club. Soccer Club. Instead of FC, which I, I hate because it's wow to say. It's like what they did with the Montreal Impact. We're called the Montreal Impact for like 30 years. They changed their name to CF Montreal. And it's like, oh, this is too boring. It's so lame. So lame. I mean, it's almost as lame as New York City FC, but you know. Yeah, that's pretty unreal. Could have been NYCSC. Could have been worse. Oh, that would have been even worse. That would have been hilarious. Just screw you up. They would have had no fans. It could have been way worse. I mean, they don't really have that many fans now. I mean, yeah, but they got seven apparently. It's apparently Rutgers 2019 levels of attendance. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's but I think there's gonna be a good crowd tonight because there are gonna be some New York City FC fans that will brave the treacherous journey across the George Washington Bridge or the Holland Tunnel. By the way, real quick before we sign off, I just saw a tweet that um, someone driving one of the PATH trains going to Harrison was like, yeah, if you support the blue team, get off the train. We're dumping you in Journal Square. So I thought that was pretty <laughs> that was pretty cool. So 